things need to be redone differently, specifically when it comes to new cities, or we're gonna end up like 10, 20 years from now with new cities that people are gonna move in with no economic opportunities, with no good governance, with um, no planned uh, infrastructure whatsoever. And then we're gonna have exactly the same cities that we keep complaining uh, about every day. And we have like a million podcasts where we just complain about how cities are bad, right? <laughs> Welcome to Urban Limitrophe, a Toronto-based podcast exploring the global African experience by highlighting the various initiatives happening in cities across the African continent and occasionally the diaspora to creatively solve problems, support communities, create vibrant urban spaces, and build better cities overall. I'm your host, Alexandra, and join me as I explore this episode's topic. This episode is sponsored by the University of Toronto School of Cities. The School of Cities convenes urban-focused researchers, educators, students, practitioners, and the general public to explore and address complex urban challenges with the aim of making cities and urban regions more sustainable, prosperous, inclusive, and just. To learn more about their work, visit schoolofcities.utoronto.ca. This episode is also co-sponsored by the University of Toronto's Department of Geography and Planning. To learn more about their work and the different undergraduate and graduate programs available, please visit geography.utoronto.ca. In today's episode, we're diving into an intriguing topic, starting a city from scratch in the transformative concept of charter cities. You see, we often talk about fixing problems in existing cities, but what about when you have a blank canvas, an opportunity to create a city from the ground up? It's what we call greenfield development, and it's happening all around the world. But here's the thing. Sometimes these initiatives can have unintended consequences for communities and the environment. Ever heard of ghost cities? Just a quick search on Google will show you the eerie results of poorly planned developments that fail to consider the needs of people and nature. That's why in today's episode, we're shining a spotlight on the importance of thoughtful planning and community engagement. We'll explore the risks and pitfalls of disregarding these crucial aspects and how they can lead to cities that simply don't work for the people who inhabit them. Last June, I had the pleasure of speaking with Heba, an urban researcher at the Charter Cities Institute Zambia, about her work on the planning guidelines report titled Guided Organic Growth, an Urban Planning Framework for Charter Cities. This comprehensive document offers valuable recommendations on how to improve city development, urban planning, and mobility in new cities. So join us as we delve into the world of charter city development. We'll uncover the secrets behind this dynamic approach to urban planning and learn how remaining flexible, adaptable, and working closely with communities can lead to a more holistic and inclusive approach to city building. Let's tune in. Yeah, sure. So my name is Heba. Uh, I'm an urban researcher here at the Social Institute. I'm part of um, our research team, which is a very multidisciplinary team. So we have economists, political scientists, lawyers, and um, me as an urban uh, planner, developer, or researcher, whichever you call me. My background is in, um, well, I first studied architecture for my bachelor's degree. Um, and then they told me that can I have to minor in something, so I minored in planning, and this is when I discovered that um, architecture is boring and this, it's not going to change the world, so I want to go a little bit more into planning, and then after graduation, um, I got 
more involved into uh, community development kind of projects. And this is when I realized that urban planning is also boring and you need a more holistic kind of approach to development. And this is where um, I started going more into research and uh, did my master's and then started working for the CTI, which I've been working with them now for almost two years. So, um, yeah, this is where I am. I like what you said about like this holistic approach, a, a holistic approach to the to planning and development in cities. Because I think that really translates well in as the work that you do, but then also the report that we'll be talking about briefly. But before we jump into that, uh, can you tell us a bit more about the charter the Charter Cities Institute and its approach to urban development, the um, the Charter City model? So um, the Charter Cities Institute is a think tank, tank nonprofit that is based. Um, both in DC, the USA, and in Lusaka here in Zambia. Uh, we recently opened our uh, offices in uh, Lusaka as our Africa offices. Um, the main goal of CCI is to basically promote uh, the ecosystem for shorter cities through creating uh, research partnerships and media um, to help establish that goal. Um, what a shorter city, should I go now into what a shorter city is? Or Go for it, yeah. yeah. So um, what a charter city is, is uh, basically a new city with new rule or a greenfield development with new rules. And you might ask um, why a new um, city or why new rules? Well, first because um, new rules, because current rules completely suck. And I think we can all that the systems that we run our cities through uh, are really bad. And new cities is because um, they're gonna be an additional 2 billion uh, people um, moving into cities or being born into cities in the next 15 years. And most of that uh, urbanization is gonna happen in Asia and Africa. And unless we do things differently, we're gonna have the same cities doing the same problems, right? Um, and also it's a great approach to equip our current cities with um, the tools that they need to feed that urbanization. We know from the fact that our cities cannot take that much urbanization and that's why we kind of new, need new cities. And the fact that there are a lot of new city projects that are being developed currently as we speak and it's a great chance for us to do things right, right? And, you know, create better cities hopefully. And I know that the Charter Cities Institute has this focus on like improving governance. And so for those understand, uh, for those listening in, can you explain a bit more about like why this particular emphasis and why isn't it so important first for the organization and the work that you're doing, but then also in making charter cities what they are? I think we, um, we of course, I mean, uh, in the research team, we do a lot of like research on basically cities, just generally um, and our main focus was always to find like what really works for cities what makes cities great what, and what make people inside of them actually work um, and one of the things that we really found is the, the fact that cities are labor markets right this is not an innovation of the first institute this is an idea that people have been talking about years and years and years but there is um, a certain um, I don't know like planners and like architects are still not kind of getting it completely that people move to cities for better work opportunities, for better um, health uh, insurance, for better health uh, services or better infrastructure in general. Um, and then from there, we looked at uh, 
what cities have been able to kind of like transform themselves and transform the people inside of them. And for instance, we look at uh, we look a lot at um, Shenzhen, which is, is sort of a green middle development. Uh, when it first started, it had an average yearly income in 1980. It's like a, a US 137 US dollars, right? Um, but like if you look at 2017, they have an average yearly income of around 13,000 US dollars. Um, and we looked at how, for instance, Shenzhen did that, right? Um, and one of the most important things that they did is that like um, they somehow disregarded the uh, national governance uh, rules and they created their own rules to be able to attract investment, to be able to attract industrialization and to be able to have the robust uh, kind of economic growth. Um, and also, in concert to the labor market and whatever, and then people kind of started flooding in. So it wasn't just like uh, um, economic growth, but it was economic growth for the people. So people moved in there and they grew as the city grew. And this is where kind of um, it was clear. And if you look at um, uh, places like Singapore or Dubai, it's pretty clear that governance is a huge um element in the development of those cities and the attraction of people to those cities. Um, although we can agree or disagree on the planning approach of those cities, but we can see the economic benefits of, you know, actually attracting investments and looking at cities as the market. And this is where the kind of governance approach to shorter cities, we see it as like critical to the development of cities. And um, especially with greenfield developments, you can then, you know, it's, it's completely or not completely, but it's pretty hard to kind of um, shift. And so I'm originally from Alexandria, Asia, right? a city that's been there for 3000 years and people have been doing kind of the same thing for at least 200 years now, right? So it's kind of um, a bit more difficult to introduce um, institutional gov governance changes on, in the cities, right? But on a green field development, it's, it's a new city, right? Like it's, it's the new, right? Mm -hmm. So it's easier to do those governance changes and we've seen that a lot um not a lot but like in certain parts of the world and we've seen it, it works and um i think this is where the inf um, uh, emphasis on governance comes from thank you that was really yeah that was really interesting i mean there's a lot to unpack there so i'm just processing <laughs> there's a lot of the really interesting things that you said that um yeah <laughs> but yeah a lot of interesting you said a lot of interesting things that are, I think, reflected in the report that you've that you've authored. And so, yeah, you worked really hard on it. The report is called uh, Planning Guidelines, uh, Guided Organic Growth, an Urban Planning Framework for Charter Cities. And so can you walk us through the planning guidelines report? Um, and there's three main categories that it focused on, city development, urban planning, and mobility. So yeah, if you can just walk us through that. Um, so uh, the planning guideline is basically part of what we call CCI, the reference guides. And the reference guide is basically there to help governments, uh, city developers, mayors, whoever is starting a shorter city to just like have a reference point in what they're doing that is based on um, literature, academia, a lot of interviews that we've done and a lot of our research. So it's basically a way to facilitate and to also promote um, a different approach to how uh, to design and, and build cities. Um, we have, for instance, the governance handbook, which basically focuses on the legal systems that can uh, govern um, um, a shorter city with all of uh, 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 
basically everything best practice from all over the world and a lot of interviews with experts and what is needed for cities uh, to have more uh, devoured governance and everything. Um, and the planning guideline is basically outlining the approach of charter cities towards planning. Um, we uh, have, if you, for instance, look at um, current planning practices, we see a lot of research that's been done to improve it and like a lot of course of community development and a lot of um, this kind of stuff. But if we look at the research that's been done in new cities specifically or greenfield sites specifically, it's um, very limited and it's either very uh, positive or extremely negative. Um, and we look at new cities that it's somewhere in between. Uh, they have a lot of problems, and but they also offer a lot of solutions. Um, and from there, we started kind of um, unpacking the problems and having them like clearly in front of us when it comes to planning. We've seen, for instance, most of them, um, and this we can track back to the, like new cities in the 1950s and even like nine, um, 20s or something. Um, and you can see, for instance, that they're all master plans, right? They're extremely rigid. Um, there is a lot of upfront capital that goes into creating a new city, of course, because of the infrastructure and everything. Um, and the last thing, the decision-making processes in new, like, let's say 99% of new city projects are completely top-down. There is no inclusion of any communities, no inclusion of anything. Um, and this is where we kind of like, okay, hey, we need to do things a little bit differently. Um, and this is where we kind of wrote the planning guideline, which has three things. First is um, uh, the city development guides, which basically kind of rethinking those um, same practices that have been in place in new city development since the 1950s. Um, the urban planning guide, which is basically rethinking all types of um, um, urban planning practices or urban design practices, density, um, density land use, this kind of stuff, because they're also very quite, what we found that they're, they're very quite rigid and you can easily like categorize them when it comes to new cities. Um, and the last thing is also mobility. Um, we, um, we, we have like um, another research that's like focused more on infrastructure, but we felt like mobility is such an afterthought of new city development. It's almost a joke. Like most of new city development don't even have like <laughs> mobility plans at all like it's, mm -hmm. it's 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 funny right and then um most of them also like suffer from mobility problems for years and years and years and like okay guys like mobility matters we know now that like cities are labor markets people need to go from one place to another how are they gonna get there so that's why we felt like the the, uh, the importance of including mobility guidelines with the planning and city development as well um yeah yeah, and, and reading through the report, I really liked these three lenses that you approached, I guess, like urban planning and city development with. And again, going back to what the word you used before, holistic, which is a word that came to me as well when I was reading through it. Um, but yeah, because there's this focus on like governance, so there's strategies, there's policies to guide the future of growth to keep in mind that are outlined in there. But then it's also this focus on the like built environment, both in like like the types of zoning used and you mentioned before like density, um, but then also thinking about urban design and being thoughtful about like public space and amenities as a city and as, as a city grows. And then another part of amenities is like mobility. <laughs> and like you said, a lot of these cities uh, kind of grown either master planned or they kind of grew organically and within that um, uh, organic growth sometimes there's a lack of 
foresight <laughs> to how people are going to move through all this growth. And so, yeah, that focus on mobility, I thought was also very interesting. Um, so that being said, another key component of the guidelines was uh, the guided organic growth paradigm. And so can you explain a bit more about that and why is it important for urban planners to keep in mind? Um, so if you look at like history of urban planning, which is one of my favorite things to look at, right? <laughs> and you'll see like planning, you can easily argue this planning is basically um, uh, a science of shifting paradigms. So like in the 1990, in the 1920s, we used to plan a certain way. And then we discovered this is wrong. And then in 1950s, we did something else. And then in the 1960s and 1970s, and although we did a lot of problems as we can easily see in our cities, we learned them. And now we're at a point where we're um, reviewing everything. And I see all of like the World Urban Forum is happening right now. And there is a lot of really good conversations on um, how to plan and how to include communities. And, you know, like looking back at all the wrong that we've done and making it right. Um, but unfortunately, there is not a lot of talk about the 200 new or greenfield developments that are happening right now and are being planned really bad, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this is why we were like, okay, you know, since planning has been shifting in paradigms, we also need to have a little bit of a shift, okay, a, a big shift in usage development paradigms, right? Because um, a lot of things that are applicable to existing cities are not applicable to um, um, greenfield developments, right? In a sense, so greenfield developments, you still don't have the community coming in. So how are you going to include a community that doesn't come in um, in a planning process that you know, should provide infrastructure, for instance. And that's why we're like, okay, let's let's focus on new cities because I mean, this is the cornerstone of course of our work, but let's have a, a paradigm that is very defined for those new cities that can actually, can actually, you know, bridge the gap between what's happening in existing cities and like the old way, the 1950s way of how we're planning our new development to greenfield development. Um, it basically has three corners. The first corner is, trying to imagine new city making and the shared sphere of activities between uh, well, the urban developer, the host country, or um, the government, or whatever you want to call it, and the community in itself. Um, and here we reference a lot um, the informal settlements of Cairo, right? Because um, if you go now to the informal settlements of Cairo, it's really interesting, right? They're not shacks or they're not uh, um, one-story building. They're like almost 14-story buildings in certain areas. Um, and this happened because when the um, people started building, right, and they lived without good infrastructure for years, when the government came in and provided those infrastructure, um, the people were able to kind of accumulate certain a certain amount of money because they lived there for uh, for a while and then when they got the de facto formality by like just having electricity and water in their houses they actually built quite really dense um and economic vibrant uh, community then we saw that like government coming in with community and everyone like providing a thing that like how can those um places develop um another thing for instance today when i was coming to work um usually there are a lot of um sidewalks that are not bathed um, in uh, in Lusaka, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but um, in front of this one business, right? They were they, they've been trying to bathe like the I don't know the entrance of uh, that company for like a, a week now. And today, like I was walking on the pavement, and it was great. And I was I, I was just thinking, um, uh, 
if there was a way that the government could talk to this company and like have a certain like taxation written off as long as they like develop the whole street, like they just literally develop the place in front of them or maybe the, the street. Them. So this um, this way, um, instead of like for instance, instead of like taxing and then the money goes to a different thing, this is um, something that the people are doing, the, the, the company is doing, it, it is already investing in the city, you just need to find ways that they can actually invest directly more into the city, it's be something that is very close to them, so they can easily and they like, will be happy to invest in. So there are a lot of things, there are a lot of dynamics that are happening in our city that we can learn from, and as long as we see like there is activities and there are different stakeholders and how can I involve um, each one of them. Uh, the second dimension of uh, of um, the guided organic roses, uh, the new city making as a combination of top-down and bottom-up um, practices. Um, and here we looked at one really cool example is, um, I'm going to murder the name, it's a new town development called Arnyaya in uh, India. And what's really cool about the development is that they really wanted to cut costs a little bit, which is also a huge problem of new city, in new cities is that like so much upfront capital makes them extremely expensive and completely cuts up like middle and even lower class completely from um, being able to buy or own anything. Um, so what they did is that they um, provided infrastructure and then provided kind of like lots, right? So they provide water, uh, essential water, they provided electricity, and um, they um, divided up the, lot, uh, the lots and let people, uh, and give people actually, um, how to say this, like architecture uh, drawings and stuff and let them build. build. Um, and that um, actually when they started developing uh, much later, it, actually cut down the cost of developing the uh, the place by around 40%, right? So you just provide, like, you, you do something and they do something. Um, and they let the people build however they want, whenever they want, and let them develop it over time and this kind of stuff. A little bit of guidance. You don't have to develop everything from the front. It's another problem with development. Um, and the last, and I think um, I always argue this is the most important um, um, aspect of, of the guided organic growth, um, is uh, the fact that it works on the fact that it looks at city making as not just a long-term process, but also a short-term process, right? So, and this is here again, you look at literally any informal settlements um, in the world, and you would find always like extended columns on top of one-story buildings, right? Um, and this is because generally, and um, people build over time, like no one is expected if you're poor or you're middle class to have everything figured out at 25 and just move in into the most amazing part. Right, um, and what people do generally is that, like, they build. Um, and you can you can see this literally the development of it anywhere. They build just like walls at the beginning, right? And then when they accumulate more money over uh, over time, they invest in something else. They invest in something else. They um, cover the roof, and when they're covering the roof, you always have the extended columns because, like. Um, one day we'll have more money or the kids are going to grow up, they're probably going to, you know, build another um, story building or whatever. So understanding that city making is 
something that can happen now, but something that it will definitely happen in the future. Um, instead of like this matter plan, where people just move in with everything completely uh, developed. I see that in Kalimba, for instance, it's a new development. Um, um, it's a new development in Southern Africa, and basically, people like literally built everything, and they actually. Um, furnished apartments, right? So the cost of, of, of moving in was super high for a country that's not even um, a middle-income uh, middle country. So people just didn't move in for years and years and years. And once other like changes in mortgage systems and whatever happened, people were able to move in. But um, this whole like extremely expensive upfront up capital would not really help the people who the cities were initially built to help, right? Yeah. Um, so those are kind of the three cornerstones of what a guided organic growth um, is. Yeah, I like that. I think a concept that I had read through going through your website, and I think in the guidelines was this idea of barefoot planning. And I think that comes through what you're talking about, kind of the example you gave of that city in India, India where you kind of gave the lots and then let people kind of fill in the gaps, you know, kind of putting a framework together and letting people things happen on their own. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. And so there's a lot to unpack in this 90 page report. We went over some of the key components, we talked about the guided organic growth paradigm, but what are some additional like key takeaways from the report that you'd like readers to keep in mind moving forward? Um, I think like one thing that I would really like people to kind of like, you know, advocate for, like, even complain more about mm -hmm. is how new cities are being done the same way since the 1950s. And we're keep, like, screaming, like, oh, my God, we're, you know, we can't get from one way to another because we didn't plan for transportation. I'm like, yeah, that, I mean, extremely. Um, and because I feel like most of the developers of um, new cities are basically either governments um, with a lot of bureaucracy and all of this kind of stuff or uh, just like real estate developers. And um, with this too, I feel like there is a lot of missing of like, okay, maybe we need to do things a little bit differently. But I think one idea that I would like to hammer more and more and more is like, things need to be redone differently, specifically when it comes to new cities, or we're gonna end up like 10, 20 years from now with new cities that people are going to move in with no economic opportunities, with no good governance, with um, no planned uh, infrastructure whatsoever, and then we're going to have exactly the same cities that we keep complaining uh, about every day, and we have like a million podcasts where we just complain about how cities are bad, right? So, um, yeah, I think it's just like, it's, it's time it's time to act, you know, it's, it's now or not never, but like, it's, it's it's better that we do it, you know, upfront kind of. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a perfect segue to my next question because we talked about, we were talking a lot about the word like holistic came up a lot, but then the other word that came up for me when I was reading through the report was this idea of like flexibility and like diet, diet, yeah, flexibility and making things like adaptable. And in one of the statements that stood up to me the most was, um, it said in the report that planning is ultimately a dynamic process. It must evolve as the needs of the city evolve. But like you said, planning or policy making and all these different things that have to do with city building can sometimes feel really stagnant, sort of like you're pushing like a boulder uphill when trying to get these more like innovative, quote unquote, innovative policies in these more quote unquote established cities. 
So do you have any like insight from your research to ensure that urban planning remains flexible and remains a dynamic process? So um, one thing that we talk a lot about is the balance of three main things, right? So the urban practices, which are basically, um, I mean, at the end of the day, you still need to provide infrastructure, right? And there is a way to include communities in the development of infrastructure, but at the end of the day, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a top-down process of like just building vibes in a sense or, or something like this. So these are like building planning practices that needs to be balanced, but they need to be balanced with not just community, but also market forces, right? Uh, this is a problem that cities are keep falling for and planners keep falling for um, since eternity and they keep, um, it, it, it's the same exact problem, right? When, when a city is successful, investments are gonna come, people are gonna open businesses, which is what we all want to see, like vibrant cities that are things that happening in, people have like access to economic, good economic opportunities, access to good healthcare and all of this kind of stuff. But generally there is a, a literally, um, a really bad response to this kind of thing because Again, master planning is so rigid in its, in its practices and like what we learn in school is so rigid that we, oh, we, we really don't know, like we get really, really scared when things keep coming in. So if you just like think of, you know, planning and then community and then markets and just try to balance what they offer you, those three things, I think that's where kind of like you remain seeing you remain dynamic and like always kind of like remembering that like as a planner you're just like you know honestly I feel like better to be able to just keeping up with the city right just looking at the city what it needs whether it's uh, like a, a new business infrastructure or like the community need like a new transportation system and just like do it right it's as simple as that no one really like no um, real planner can know everything about the city you want and Planning has shown that we can be wrong so many times, right? We keep changing our ideas. And I think the best way to shape our ideas and to be adaptable is to just listen to what the city needs. But the city in a sense of infrastructure, community and markets and try to kind of like balance those three things together. Um, so yeah, this is how I, I imagine planning would kind of remain dynamic. And so we talked a bit about the markets and like you said, infrastructure, and then the other part was community, which is at the center of all this, like the people actually living in this, in these, uh, in these uh, new cities or cities in general. And so what is one thing that, uh, or, or one thing, but in general, what can urban planners do to ensure that when making charter cities, that the voices of the community are included and people don't get left behind? I think um, I would love to say that you just follow the planning guidelines. They will they will tell you exactly what to do to include the community. But um, it, I think it's important to, and I think this is something that we still haven't kind of like really figured out completely when it comes to uh, greenfield development, is um, how to include the community like literally from the get go, right? Don't plan everything and expect things to work, right? This is I think my my main uh, problem with. Uh, new city development, right? So it's like everything is planned for you and you just go in and buy your house or move, get moved into your house or whatever. Like, we don't need a completely developed um, uh, green uh, uh, green areas. We just need a place for green areas. And then once the people move in, we can develop it with them together to actually um, communicate their needs because there is no way that you will know once those people are gonna move in, are gonna um, want it's so much easier, right? In a in a 
an already established city, right? Because like people are going to be like, oh, we need this, we need that, and then you just need to do it for them, right? At the end of the day. But in industrial development, you need to not plan everything completely to only, not only, but like to a certain point, just provide the main infrastructure. And the rest of the infrastructure need to kind of be developed with uh, the community. So one one idea that we um, that is kind of hammered in in in, um, in the report develop for instance public space, and we do understand the need for like major public spaces uh, to be developed so people can actually be attracted to the city and this can be attractive city but um kind of like back alley green spaces and open spaces those are more of like a community slash uh, uh um developer thing that can happen over time so we actually like um um advertise against developing everything from the get-go uh, and just like making sure that okay once the people move in let's work together on developing more things uh, so just um involving the community but really involving the community not just like showing them plans and saying, oh do you like it or not really you know just like actually work it with them as they move in um as they uh, start kind of like um figuring out their needs by themselves and then you're there to kind of just like help and you know do your planning stuff in a sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like that again the idea of being flexible, not planning everything from the beginning, yeah. but also going back to the initial theme, I guess, of this conversation is being more holistic <laughs> and yeah. yeah, creating these opportunities, like genuine opportunities for people to to have a say and, and shape the future of the cities they're living in. And so um, you talked through the guidelines, you're one of the urban researchers here at TCI. So can you tell us about like, what's next for your research or the work that you're up to? Yeah, um, so I have this one really cool project that I'm working on, this is driving me crazy, but it should be out sometime in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically what we're doing, that we're looking at all the really, really bad um, urban um, laws in um, all of sub-Saharan, like actually all of Africa or just sub-Saharan. Oh. Um, because one of like our arguments, right, in the CCI is that like, um, we need new cities and we need new rules and government, governance suck. And, but like, and we, of course, we have a lot of evidence based on that, but we just, like, I wanted to really hammer down that urban laws here don't make any sense. And don't make any in a, in, not in a sense of like, oh, this is this law is bad and it doesn't really include uh, the uh, like poor people or whatever. No, no, they just really don't make any sense. Like, for instance, there is that one law um, in um, in Algeria, right? Uh, basically, Sahara, right? Like, and uh, because it's it's a copy from the French law during colonization. So one of the um, building regulations is that uh, I don't know. Um, uh, a roof has to stand uh, a certain, uh, like a certain amount of uh, ice, um, uh, oh. snow. Yeah. Um, and there is also a similar law that we found in Kenya, and it's just like a complete joke. Like, why? I mean, there is no snow here. It doesn't snow, right? Mm-hmm. And um, in certain parts of the world, you see. Uh, so you have a lot of like a lot of copy paste that happened when like colonization came. So that's a, that's a mess right there. And then you have a little bit. Even a bit more of a mess in like post-colonial times, where like people were kind of trying to control um, um, cities because I mean cities were the, the, the only thing that really was happening in um, 
a lot of countries. So like trying to control who did a lot of the world, a lot of like introduction of like also like really weird uh loads that just doesn't make any sense when it comes to uh like yeah there's just like the weird thing when it comes to uh, um especially uh land ownership uh stuff because I mean they were still trying to uh come together the like uh traditional land ownership with the laws that were written during colonization trying to figure that out and that also creates the mess um and the last thing which are like the what we call the modern um, laws which is basically trying to deal with that mess and to see how like all the countries deal with that mess is like actually really very, very interesting and sometimes control it can create even a bigger mess um and um all the like legal system that countries try to um like legal laws or laws or whatever to that countries try to uh pass to create uh, i don't know um infrastructure or create a highway or this kind of stuff are also very um are very just like bad yeah so we just kind of like try to map um a lot of um those kind of like really, really bad uh, laws that are literally everywhere around the continent. And they're just like, like they're, actually I always say that this is the funniest project I've ever worked on. So there's things that are so ridiculous that they're just like a joke, honestly. Um, and so this is yeah, one of the projects that I'm working on and um, just like kind of map those kind of stuff and see what we can learn from them and see uh, what is the way forward. Um, another project is, uh, which is a longer term project is like an incremental infrastructure thing. So we kind of, during the planning guidelines, we touched on mobility and how you can create better mobility systems, but we still haven't um, uh, touched on things like um, electricity, water provision, and this kind of stuff, which actually had um, uh, most of like the money on developing a new city goes there. And um, again, our like the short city model is basically try to lift millions of people out of poverty. That means we're creating uh, cities that uh, really poor, poor people should be able to move in there uh, without it being like super out of their uh, like affordability uh, systems. So um, um, our idea is we're, we're now researching a lot on how we can do more like incremental uh, provision of infrastructure that can be affordable. So this is um, another thing that we're working on. And um, uh, the last thing that I'm working on is um, a couple of like projects here um, in Osaka. So I'm working on um, um, a project documenting the build um, environment uh, in Lusaka and looking at uh, the really cool uh, modern architectural heritage in the city because I'm just fascinated by modern architecture in general. I think it's ugly and beautiful at the same time and that's kind of my thing. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're working with uh, the Lusaka and Tess House, which is a special economic zone outside of Lusaka. Um, uh, on developing new uh, vision, like more of like a dynamic urban development uh, ideas for their development in the future. Uh, so this uh, process where we have this touched a couple of years back and we have certain investments, but now they need like a more um, of a vision for the future. So we're hopefully uh, bringing uh, civil society uh, students and uh, experts to try to imagine how a future can be like more dynamic, more inclusive, the planning can be 
done in just two different ways. I'm really excited about this project as well. Um, yeah, I think that's what I'm working on at the moment. Uh, and I'm yeah, late on everything, but yeah. <laughs> well, understandable. There's a lot going on. <laughs> like the three different things you talked about, they all sound very exciting. I like the, especially like the one about the laws, because it reminds me of, um, I remember like a few years back, I was like reading, there's like these random laws across America that don't make any sense anymore. Yeah. Like there's one, I think it's like in California where it's like, it was like illegal to eat an orange in a bathtub. And I think it's a law that's still in place. <laughs> and that's what, the, what you were saying before about the snow and the roof on the ice reminded me of. Just these silly yeah. things that don't make sense anymore. I don't, I don't know when that the California or like orange yeah. one ever made sense, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe yeah, yeah. it don't make sense anymore. Um, no, I don't. like yeah it's, it's honestly it's a joke I feel like once uh, we have this research out it's just gonna be like you know like about to be like hey do you want a joke of the day uh <laughs> falling in Kenya joke of the day that is uh, like just so funny you know so yeah yeah um yeah I look forward to I look forward to reading that research when it comes out and talking about it again you're welcome back on the podcast to go over the highlights <laughs> I'm, I'm coming again. Okay. okay. Awesome. <laughs> um, okay. So our last question of our conversation is um, how can people get involved with uh, CCI? You have so many projects underway, so many exciting things. Is there opportunities for people, other researchers or planners to get involved with your work? So yeah, one really official way you can work with us is basically the co-authorship program and the research team. If you think you have a really cool research idea that aligns with everything that I talked about or any of the things we're working on at the uh, CCI, uh, so please reach out with us a concept note or have a discussion with us. Um, a lot of our really cool research has been produced uh, through the co-authorship program. Um, um, uh, our paper like on barefoot planning was uh, done by two really cool urban planners who were trying to rethink um, the idea of what an urban planner is. And um, yeah, so the barefoot planning is a product of the co-authorship. Uh, program. Um, another way that um, our emails are like super easy. So it's basically my first name at CCI.city. So if you are interested or you want to have a conversation or you're working on a cool project or whatever, you can easily just shoot us an email. And we always love to hear um, what people are working on or how they can be involved. Just like have a talk. Apparently, we're very talkative with CCI. So uh, yeah, we just love to talk to other people who are equally as passionate about cities uh, as us. Um, there are a lot of events that we're trying to do, we, mostly for now, it's usually the online, uh, just because of um, COVID and whatever, but we're hopefully moving into more on-ground uh, projects starting the second half of the year. Um, so this is also an opportunity. We have the MIT conference coming up. So if you want to submit a paper, um, we're co-producing this um, conference with MIT soon. So like we have a lot going on. Just check out our website and uh, yeah, and shoot us an email if you want to talk. Thanks for listening to this episode. For this episode's show notes and other resources, make sure to visit www.urbanlimitrove.com. Also, please don't forget to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media to stay up to date and stay tuned for new episodes coming your way. Until next time. <laughs>